tonight. Uh, we're beginning our study here in the book of 2 Timothy. This summer we've been working our way through 1st and now 2nd Timothy. And on, on Wednesday nights, we are in, in, in what we're calling our, our journey through the Word of God. And so on, 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 on Wednesday nights, we're looking to um, cover large territory, you know, and so a chapter at a time. So we're going to be four weeks in Second Timothy. On Sundays, we're more in-depth in our study as we're going through the book of Acts. Um, it's going to take us a while to get through it because we're diving deep and we're just really looking at things. But here on Wednesday nights, we're wanting to cover as much territory as we can and just kind of bringing the big picture, the big scope of the Word of God. And, you know, there's a saying amongst firemen that says that firemen say this, that we run into buildings when everyone else is running out. How many of you have heard that before? I love that about and appreciate the, the firefighters in our congregation, that they have that heart, that they want to run in when everybody else is, is running out. And, you know, I think that should also be the, the heartbeat, the nature of those of us in the body of Christ. That when it comes to... As if we, as we could, you know, say in essence, you know, our world is on fire right now. Our world's on fire. Our world is, you know, it's, it's in, in a messed up situation. And rather than just being people that would say, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, Jesus, come back soon and get us out of here. That our heart needs to be that we're running in. That, that we're seeking to not run from, but we're running in, that we're wanting to, to stand, that we're wanting to make a difference, that we're wanting to, to offer this hope. And this is, in essence, what Paul is encouraging young Timothy to do um, as a minister who is ministering in really difficult and hostile times to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that he wants him to stand, that he wants him to, to stay true when many others are falling away and running away. He wants him to stand and stay true to the word. And as we come to 2 Timothy, Paul's situation has changed dramatically. In 1 Timothy, Paul was writing from on the road, from one of his missionary journeys, and he was hoping to come and visit uh, Timothy, who was pastoring the church that Paul had previously pastored there in Ephesus. But now Paul finds himself in prison in Rome for the second time. You know, when the book of Acts ends, we'll, we'll see Paul being put under house arrest, and although he was linked to a guard at all times, Paul was living in his own quarters and he was able to have visitors. And today, you know, if it, Paul might have been in a situation where he had to wear one of those ankle bracelets, you know, that, that kind of monitored everywhere that he went. But he had freedom. That was Paul's first imprisonment there in Rome. But after that, he was released. And he went out, probably most scholars believe that he went to Spain on another missionary journey. And upon his return to Rome, he gets arrested a second time. And this time, however, Paul is put in a cold, dark, and damp dungeon. Why? Because the emperor Caesar Nero is on a rampage against the Christians. 
And he is blaming basically everything that is wrong with Rome, he is basing it or blaming it on the followers of Christ. And you know, we're probably going to see that more and more. We see it already, but we're probably going to see that more and more in our culture where people are going like, everything that's wrong, it's the Christians. It's their fault. They're the ones that are causing all these problems. And so Paul returned to Rome and Caesar imprisons him and Paul is there awaiting his execution and this is what's amazing to me is Paul is all alone in this cold dark prison cell the only one that is that is with him is Luke and you would think that Timothy would be writing to Paul in order to encourage him but it's the opposite Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage young Timothy you know this afternoon I was over at our friend Dwayne Swanson's house again. I went and saw him last week, and and you know he 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 keeps thinking that you know his he's going to die in any day now, you know, and and he keeps hanging around, and and so some of us have had the privilege to come and just and go and spend you know some time with him, and I spent a couple about an hour and a half with him today, and and it was interesting just because. You know, you go there wanting to encourage Dwayne, and you leave encouraged by Dwayne, you know, every single time. And I keep telling him, that's why you're still alive. It's because, you know, you need to keep encouraging us. You know, God's just holding you on because he still has some things for you to say. And, and it was such a blessed time. Well, that's Paul. Paul's in this place where you would think, you know, that Timothy would be encouraging him, but Paul is encouraging Timothy. And here in chapter 1, he gives him three words of encouragement, three exhortations to help him stay true, to help Timothy stay focused, to help Timothy stand. We see the first one in verse 6 where he tells him to stir up the gift that has been given to him. We see the second one in verse 8 where he tells him to not be ashamed of the truth. And we see the third one in verse 13 where he tells him to hold fast to the truth. And you know, these are three great encouragements that are really applicable to all of us here today who are living in these times that are becoming more and more hostile to be a follower of Jesus. So that's how we're going to break this down tonight. We'll begin with verse 1. Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul begins this in a very formal way, like he does a lot of his uh, letters, by identifying himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And this reminds us, even though 2 Timothy is a very, very personal letter on Paul's part, that this formal greeting reminds us that, that this letter is for a broader consumption. That it wasn't just a letter that was written to Timothy, but it was written to the early church. That it was a, a letter that could be passed on and is very applicable to those of us who are part of the church of Jesus Christ today. So he begins in this formal way. And then verse 2, he says, to Timothy, a beloved son. And I love that he calls him that. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. In Acts chapter 14, we're going to get a little glimpse of how Paul and Timothy come together when we get to there. I love this part of the story, but you'll have to wait on that a week or so. But uh, it's interesting, his beloved son, and I hope you have some beloved sons and daughters in the faith, people that, that you have impacted and poured into. It's such a wonderful thing. 
To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Three wonderful blessings from the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul was a prayer warrior. But he's praying, and as he prays for Timothy, he, he's, his heart is filled with, with joy and thanksgiving. And then he says, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, thinking about your tears. Now, Paul's probably referring to here the last time that Paul and Timothy saw each other which was when Paul was passing the baton of the church in Ephesus to Timothy, and Paul was moving on, and, and Timothy most likely, he, he shed some tears. You, one thing you know about Timothy as you read about his life, he was a sensitive guy. He was a guy, a young guy that really had a, a heart, and he loved Paul. And so Paul's reflecting upon that. And so he, he says there in verse 4, I'm, verse 4, I'm greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. When Paul thought of Timothy, his son in the faith, his heart was filled with joy. Why? Because of his genuine faith. The word genuine there means sincere or without hypocrisy. That when Paul looked at, at Timothy, he saw him as a guy in his faith that he was the real deal. That he was blessed by the genuineness of Timothy's faith. And I'll tell you, that is one of the things that I love about this church. Is there are so many of you here in this place that have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And it blesses me. There's not many of you here in our body who play church. There's not many of you, you know, here that do the religious thing. You are genuine in your love and in your faith for Jesus. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, it inspires me. I love to worship with you guys and just the, the passion. And when other worship leaders come and, and they lead worship here, they always comment to me like, man, the church is so responsive and they sing so loud. And that's born out of that, that genuine faith. And I got to tell you, it blesses me. It blesses me as your pastor. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's just so filled with joy by the genuineness of his faith. But I want you to notice where it started in Timothy. He had a good example of this genuine faith in his mother and in his grandmother. That's where it started. That's where he picked it up. And we can never underscore the impact that a mom or a grandmother can make in a person's life. You know, I've shared with you about how four, four and a half years ago, I'll put it this way. Five and a half years ago, Denise and I became empty nesters. How many empty nesters are here? It's glorious, isn't it? <laughs> and we enjoyed it for a year. 
And then my daughter went through a, a bad breakup, and right around the time my grandson Josiah turned one, uh, my daughter and Josiah moved in with us. And I got to tell you, I was a little, I loved both of them. <laughs> but I didn't want to live with them, okay? And so, so I, I was a little just, you know, oh, I was so enjoying this time with Denise, and I was like, a little pity party, and I went to this conference, men's conference, and I heard this guy, Al Pittman, share about the role that a grandpa needs to play in his grandson's life. And God just pierced my heart. And he was like, that's why they're there. Isn't it interesting when, when God does that and it totally changes your perspective, you know? And you're like, oh, yeah, you know? And so all of a sudden, I'm, I'm just digging it, digging it. And, and so for four years, they lived with us. And they just recently, a couple months ago, moved out and were empty nesters again. And Josiah just comes to spend the night two or three days a week. So um, it's, it's awesome, you know? But, but uh, you know, uh, Timothy had this great example of his mom and his grandma. And it reminds me of four scholars who were arguing over Bible translations. Which one, you know, is the best? And some the, these scholars were arguing about it. And one of them said, he said something that just shined a whole new light on their debate. He said, I personally prefer my mother's translation. And the other guys kind of chuckled and he said, no, I'm serious. She has translated. She translated each page of the Bible into life. And that's the most convincing translation I've ever read. It's a great, great picture because that's what we need to be doing. You know, some people are good at discussing all the different nuances of the Bible and all the different theologies of the Bible. And, but, but, that, if it, but they don't live it out. And that's the problem. They know it all here, but it doesn't, they don't live it out in their lives. And knowledge, that knowledge is worthless if it isn't lived out in our lives. You know, Paul would say in Corinthians that we could have all the knowledge in the world, but if we don't have love, all that knowledge, all it is is a big, giant gong. It's a big, noisy, tr- like banging a trash can, you know, just annoys you. And we don't want to be that. And so... He was touched, Timothy was touched by the genuineness of their faith. And that brings us to the first exhortation here in verse 6. He says, therefore, therefore, because God has been so faithful in your life, because he's done this work in you, because you have this great upbringing, Timothy, I want to encourage you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the gift. The word stir up means to kindle afresh. It means to keep in full flame. It's, it's the idea of adding fresh fuel to a fire. And anyone who's ever gone camping before, and you make that fire you know, out there on the beach, you know that if you don't keep adding wood to that fire, it's going to go out. And this is the point. This is the idea. When, when Paul is saying, stir this up, and the charge is in the present tense, which conveys the sense of progressive, continuous action. Keep kindling the gift afresh in your life. Keep fanning that flame. And we need to be careful here to not conclude that the flame had gone out. 
in Timothy's life. That's not the, the context. That doesn't fit with what he just said about being so overjoyed about his, gen, his genuine faith. The, pre, the present tense of the appeal allows or lets us know that the appeal is preventative rather than corrective. He's saying it in a preventative way. Keep stirring this because I don't want it to go out. Keep the flame blazing with, with full heat as you have been doing. It's not implied that this is a rebuke for neglect, but a fatherly appeal to bravely continue in the face of serious difficulty. So it's not a wake-up call to Timothy, but rather an encouragement to use his muscles to keep fit, to keep sharp by fanning that flame. Paul is saying, in in essence, Timothy, you can't be passive and expect the effects of your spiritual gift to just happen. And the same thing is true for us. We can't just be passive and think that we're going to keep growing in the Lord and growing in our gifting. It's our responsibility to be rekindling that spiritual gift, to keep the flames of the coals in our hearts growing. Wearsby said this about Timothy. Timothy did not need any new spiritual ingredients in his life. All he had to do was stir up what he already had. I love that picture. Everything was there. He just needed to stir it up. So we're to stir ourselves up, but we also can stir one another up. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, we can stir up one another by encouraging people in in their giftings, encouraging them in what you see about Jesus in them, encouraging them, you know, in in something that they're they're doing for the Lord. I love to do this when I see, you know, different friends maybe who have posted something on Instagram and just sent them a, a little text that says, you know, hey, I saw what God is doing and that's so good and keep going, keep keep after it. And we need that. All of us need that. That's the the picture of the body of Christ is that we're these coals in the fire that need to stir up one another, encourage one another, that none of us are meant to be isolated and out on our own. So Paul can encourage us to to stir up the gift within him that's given to him by God. And then he adds this in verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. I love that. I think this is a word for somebody here tonight. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You see, Paul saw the timidity that was in Timothy. Timothy, as a young pastor, was was timid by nature. Paul would have to write to him and say, hey, let no one despise your youth. Because he would have a tendency to think, oh, I can't talk to them because I'm younger than them. He had this tendency, he had a weak constitution. He dealt with constant, you know, stomach ailments. And Paul has to talk to him about that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And he was this guy that just seemed to be naturally shy. 
He's today what we might call an introvert. So on one occasion with the Corinthians, Paul had to write to them and say this, if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. <laughs> like, hey, don't cause him any problems. Don't, don't, don't make him like he's going to have to fear. Just be cool. You know, that's what Paul's saying to these guys. For he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Paul's trying to pave the way, you know. He's like the, the fullback on a football team that's running through the line to clear the way for the running back and, and just make a clear path. That's what Paul's doing. He had to go before him because Timothy was this guy that he was intimidated easily. So Paul wanted Timothy to know that this fear wasn't from God. That fear that he would feel sometimes was from his own emotions, Sometimes maybe even from the enemy. And so he's reminding him, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, Timothy. He's given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Power. It's amazing when we think about that the Bible tells us that the very power that brought Jesus Christ out of the grave is residing in each one of us by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just incredible to think about? The same power that brought Jesus out of the grave, the same power that helped Jesus do all the miracles that he did is the very same power residing in each of us because God's Spirit is in us. And Paul's saying, hey, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you his Spirit. A spirit of power. But not just a spirit of power, but also love. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing to think about? God's love has been poured into us. And the reason why it's been poured into us is because God wants to then pour it out of us. So he says, I've given you a spirit of power. I've given you a spirit of love. And I've given you a sound mind. God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of of chaos, but of peace. And sometimes when our minds start going in all these different directions where it's confusion and chaos, we need to understand and realize that that those thoughts, that's not from God. No, he's wanting to do the opposite. It's why Isaiah 26.3 is one of my favorite verses. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And Paul said, that's what God has given to you, Timothy. Not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And God is wanting Timothy, and he wants us to lean into what he's given us in Christ. What he's given us because we belong to Jesus. I love 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, and his divine power has given us everything required for life, and godliness, and that's what we're all concerned about, right? Life and godliness. 
through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And this is what the Lord wants us to understand tonight. He's given us already everything that we need. He's given it to us in Jesus, and we've been placed in the Lord. And so all that he is, it's, a, it's available to us, and he wants us to lean into that. So first Paul encourages and exhorts Timothy to stir up the gift that is in him. Secondly, he exhorts Timothy to not be ashamed there in verse 8. Notice he says, therefore... Therefore, that points back to what he just said. Since you've been given the spirit of power and love and a sound mind, not a spirit of fear, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles." So his second exhortation, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now, why would Timothy have been tempted to be ashamed? Well, I think there's something inbred in every single one of us. And it's this desire to be accepted. It's a desire to to fit in. We all desire that. We all want that. And we've all experienced those, those situations where you find yourself somewhere where you're just like, man, I don't belong here. I don't fit in. And it's awkward. And, and you can find yourself just wrestling with that. And when the majority of the people around you are against what you stand for, it can be even harder to stand up. And it can be even harder if you're a timid guy like Timothy. You know, we would probably, he would have probably been more prone to just kind of keep his faith to himself. To be in a situation where he's just like, you know, I'm just going to kind of keep my faith to myself. But Paul's encouraging him to do the opposite. To be bold. To remember that the gospel is the power of God to save. Notice how how Paul puts it, to bring to life that which was dead, not according to our works, not according to the things that we do. We can't do anything to change our spiritual condition with God, but according to the work of his grace, which he did in sending his son Jesus, that he prophesied before that salvation would come through him. And now he has appeared and Paul is laying out the, the, the message of the gospel. To Timothy, you know, sometimes we can feel like we need to defend the gospel. And I'll say this, there is a place for that when people ask questions. But that shouldn't be our starting point. Sometimes, you know, we as Christians, we we start on the defensive all the time. Just assuming, you know, that people are, you know, against us. I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to just share the truth. To just share the word. 
I've heard it said before, and I I, I do this, and I I think it's a great way to just go about our life as as a Christian, is just assuming the people around me are interested. So I just want to share, hey, I read something really amazing in the Bible today. You know, it said this. And just sharing, you know, just randomly, things like that with people you work with or people maybe you're working out with or wherever it might be, just, just sharing in that type of way. And you know what that does? You know what it does is it, it creates a message. It sends a message that you have a relationship with God. And for everybody that doesn't and, who, and, and many of them think they can't, they look at you and like, you know, you know gosh, he's, he's talking to God. You know, and God's talking to him and he's sharing with him. And they start to think like, you know, maybe I could have that. And sometimes we, we, we think we have to defend the gospel. I like what, what Spurgeon said. He said the gospel doesn't need to be defended. The gospel is like a lion. A lion doesn't need to be defended. It just needs to be let out, out of its cage and let it do its thing. And that's what we need to do. The gospel is the same. We just need to share it and realize that it has the power to transform lives. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy to not be ashamed, but to stand. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus, but also of Paul, his prisoner. Now, why would Timothy be tempted to be ashamed of Paul? He loved Paul. Paul was his mentor. Paul was his spiritual father. Well, there was an opinion that was circling around about Paul, and it's an opinion that often gets shared today in some Christian circles. And the idea is basically this. If there's something going on that's wrong in your life, or if you're going through difficulties in your life, it means that you've done something wrong. You're either lacking faith, or you are in a place where you, there's been some sin in your life, and that's why, and if you, if you weren't lacking faith, if this wasn't, then you wouldn't be going through this. And there's people that, that teach that type of false teaching, and that false word was being spread about Paul, was that if Paul was really an apostle, if he was really God's messenger, then he wouldn't be in prison. Well, Paul's contradicting that false rumor. He says, I have been appointed by Jesus to preach the life-changing message of the gospel. And look at verse 12. And for this reason, everybody say, for this reason. I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Paul says... (laughs) I'm not in prison because I've done something wrong. I'm in prison because I've been talking and sharing about Jesus. And maybe some of these people that are accusing me, they're not doing, they're not sharing the right, the reason why they're not in prison is because they're not sharing the right word. He doesn't say that, but I think it's kind of implied, you know, in what he's saying here. Paul's encouraging Timothy to be ready to suffer with him if need be. The last phrase there in verse 12 is interesting, though. He says, I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. What had Paul committed to Jesus? Well, it was his life, his ministry, his work, his connections, 
everything. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything, everything. Paul's confidence was in the ability of Jesus to keep it. You know, we're going to see in a minute where he encourages Timothy to hold fast. But what's implied in this is you can hold fast because of who's holding fast to you. Jesus has got you. Jesus is holding fast to you. And you know, I have learned in my life as a Christian to hold things in an open hand instead of a tight grip. In an open hand, it's saying, Lord, this is yours. This church, it's yours. It's not mine. This possession, this is yours, not mine. I'm just a steward of the resources and things that that you have given me. And Lord, you can give and you can take away and whatever you choose to do, and I've experienced it all, Lord, we're going to praise you. We're going to still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I love this. Paul says, I'm persuaded. I'm convinced that he is able. And again, I think that's a word for somebody else here tonight that the Lord is saying to you, you need to be persuaded that he is able. He's able to keep what you have entrusted to him. And I want to encourage you to do that. So we've seen Paul encourage Timothy to stir up the gift that is in him. And we've seen him encourage him to not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus or of his servants. To be bold in proclaiming the truth of the gospel. To not be worried about the consequences. And finally, in verse 13, he exhorts him to hold fast. Notice, hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me. In faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The word hold fast, or the phrase hold fast, suggests the idea of someone trying to take the truth away from you. Hold fast, Timothy. Don't let them take away the truth. Unless he held on to it in faithfulness, it could be snatched away. That's the idea here. The truth of the message of Jesus Christ is always under attack. It was in Paul's day, and it is in our day. There are those who are always wanting to twist the truth and pollute the truth. It's why Paul will tell Timothy in chapter 2, we'll see this next week, to be diligent, the King James Version puts it this way, to study, to present yourself, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy, be diligent to study, to hold fast to the word, lest you be led astray. I tell you, this is one of the things that I so appreciated and spending some time with my friend Dwayne today, because he is a guy who has held fast to the truth of God's word. He knows the word of God so well. I don't, I, I don't like to tell him this, but he probably knows the word better than I do. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, he just knows it so well. 
And he studied it so deeply, and he's allowed it. I asked him today, I go, I said, Dwayne, what's your favorite book of the Bible? He says, whatever one I'm reading. I love that. (laughs) Whatever book I'm reading. Okay. All right. That's good. It's not what I would have said, but that's good. That's better than what I would have said, you know. (laughs) So good. And he's he's held fast. And so when he's on, you know, his deathbed now, where he's just waiting for the Lord to take him home, his heart is filled with a peace and a hope because he's held fast. His confidence isn't in his emotions. It's not in his circumstances. It's it's anchored in the word of God. He's like that man. And this is the type of people God wants us to be. That Jesus gave that parable of the sower, you know, or the parable of the builders. You know, there are two guys that build their house. One guy builds his house on the sand. The other guy builds his house on a rock. The wind and rain and storm comes. You know, Hurricane Hillary comes barreling through. And the guy who had his house built on the sand, it crumbled. But the guy who had his house built on the rock, it stood. And then Jesus defined the two builders. He said, the guy who built his house on the sand is the one who hears my word, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't hold fast to it. It just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It goes into his head. It's there for an hour or so, or maybe a couple days, but he never, ever applies it. He doesn't hold fast. But the guy who built his house on the rock is the one who hears my word and he puts it into practice. And Jesus says, his house stood because of what it was built upon. We need to be diligent to hold fast to the word, to not be led astray. You know, in the U.S. Treasury, they teach people to detect counterfeit money. The way they teach them is to have them spend all day counting the real thing. All day, they're just counting bills. $100 $100 bills all day long. You know why? So when they feel, and when a, when a counterfeit one comes through, it feels different, and they can tell. They'll slip some in every now and then to see if they can catch it. They become so familiar, in other words, with the real thing that they're able to detect the false thing. And that's the idea in this idea of holding fast, that the more we study the truth and immerse ourselves in the truth of God's word and hold fast to the truth, the minute that something comes up that is, is even remotely, even just subtly off, we catch it. We're like, that doesn't sound right. If you go into a bank today, with a bunch of $100 bills. I did this just recently. I just sold a car, and I went in to deposit, and it was all $100 bills. It felt weird walking in with all these $100 bills. And, and I put it in, and they're, they're putting them through and counting it. And one of the things they'll do, though, is they'll, they'll hold it up in the light. You ever seen a, a teller or somebody in a store hold up your $100 bill? Some of you go, I've never had a $100 bill. Well, you know, they hold it up in the light. Well, in a similar way, that's what we're supposed to do. We're taking, you know, sometimes I'll hear something that sounds so good, sounds really, really cool. It seems kind of, sounds a little bit new, a little bit different. It's like, oh, I kind of like that. But then you hold it up in the light and you're asking, is this really true? And you want the light of of God's word, the whole context of God's word to shine upon it. And sometimes it's like, you know, that's not true. That's, that's an idea that, that sounds neat, but it's, it's not what the Bible says. And we need to do that. Paul commended the Bereans for taking everything that he said, and they went and they studied to make sure that it was true. And it's so important 
Because oftentimes, a complete, listen to me, a complete drift from the truth starts as just a subtle little shift that could be one degree. It's like the pilot who's flying to Hawaii and he's off just one degree. He's not going to hit Oahu. He's going to end up in the ocean somewhere just being off one degree. And that's what happens to us. So we're to keep, he says, by the Holy Spirit. Again, God's given us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit, we need to learn the the sensitivity of the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because that voice of the Holy Spirit is to be like that alarm in our hearts that goes ding, 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 ding. This isn't right. That's not true. So keep, he says. So hold fast, Timothy, why? Because not everyone does. And now he's going to give some examples. Look at verse 15. He says, this you know, that all those in Asia, that's such a heavy statement. All those in Asia, all the believers we know in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Homogenes. And you know what? Many today, unfortunately, are going astray from the knowledge of the truth of God. And it breaks my heart. One of my favorite Bible teachers, a guy I loved listening to, has recently just come out. He left his church, and he's following a different gospel. And it's so sad. I mean, here's a guy that was used, spoke on huge platforms all over the country. And he's just started getting off. A little bit here, a little bit here. And now he's out of the ministry, following a different gospel. And Paul gives some examples of a few guys who have turned. But he, he ends, and I, I'm glad he does this, by drawing Timothy's attention to, a, to think about a guy who stayed true. Look at verse 16, and we'll wrap this up. He said, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me, And he was not ashamed of my chain, but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. And the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Onesiphorus was a different kind of man from Phygelus and Homogenus. He was faithful to Paul in his difficult circumstances. That when the the going got tough, he didn't bail, but he pressed in. And Paul, therefore, prayed for mercy on him and his household. We don't know much about this guy, Onesiphorus, other than he lived near Timothy. Because at the end of the letter, Paul asked Timothy to greet Onesiphorus and his household. Hey, go find them and just greet them for me. But Paul describes many things about this man that made him special. He said that he often refreshed me. That he was intentional about being a blessing to Paul and worked to refresh the apostle and others. Can I encourage you to seek to be that kind of brother or sister in the Lord? I have a a plaque that sits on my desk that I, I look at Every time I'm, I'm there, that it just, it says, it's the definition of the word inspire. 
And that's what we do when we refresh. And I, I so much want to be that kind of person for others. It's just when you come along, it's like, man, he's a refreshment. Being a refreshment, an encourager to others. Paul says, second, he wasn't ashamed of my chains. That he showed himself to be a true friend to Paul. He pressed in. Oftentimes, you know, when people are going through difficulties, a lot of believers, unfortunately, when people are going through their most difficult things, people are like, I, I, I don't have the margin to handle that. And so we, instead of pressing in, we move away. Onesiphorus wasn't that kind of guy. He was pressing in. He's pressing in. He, maybe, maybe he didn't have the margin to do that, but he's pressing in to Paul in his difficulty and his chains. Verse 17, he says, he sought me out very zealously and found me. That's an interesting verse because the idea is, and this is true, there were many prisons in Rome. He searched until he found the one that Paul was in. Zealously passionately going after him, willing to go the extra mile. And Onesiphorus had this reputation for being faithful and loyal in his service to Jesus and the church. In verse 18, Paul says this, you know very well. You know this about him. That's his reputation. He lived up to his name. His name means the help bringer. Not a great name. The help bringer. And we need more men and women like Onesiphorus in the church today to zealously and faithfully seek after, to serve the Lord and to bless others. So Paul is encouraging young Pastor Timothy to be that kind of guy. And may we be as well. Let's encourage one another to stir up in each other love and good works. Stirring up each other in our gifts and our calling, knowing, reminding, hey, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Let's stir up each other in this day and age when, when it's you know, becoming so, um, when, when the world around us, the culture around us is becoming so much more hostile toward Jesus. Let's stir up one another to not be ashamed about Jesus, but to be bold in Jesus. Amen? And when the world is constantly challenging us and seeking you know, different ways to distort the truth, let's be those who are holding fast to the truth, unashamedly. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word to us tonight. Lord, again, I thank you for just the testimony that we see in, in Brad Hall, who has held fast, ministering in a very difficult area there in the northern beaches of Australia. Lord, I just thank you for his testimony. I thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Anisiphorus. I thank you, Lord, for, for the word that you brought to us tonight from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to our hearts to stir up the gift that you have begun in each of us, that you've given to us. To not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus, to not be ashamed of the the gospel message that has the power to transform our lives. And Lord, may we be those who just hold fast to the truth in these days. 
all the while being so thankful, Lord, that you are the one who's holding fast to us. That you who have begun that good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And so, Lord, we give you all praise and honor and glory tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.